Grab your Bibles and uh, turn into the Gospel of Matthew chapter 13. And uh, we're going to be looking at three many parables this morning. And to draw out the meaning of those, we're going to be verses 44 through verse 50. Um, one of the things that Ethan really enjoyed uh, growing up, uh, one of his favorite toys was Lego. And I don't know if you knew this, but you don't pronounce it Legos. It's Lego, even if it's plural. And I, I learned that, I guess, this last year or two. But he would spend hours in his room with Lego, uh, just building stuff and going to war with stuff and uh, having little battles and things like that. And uh, I remember when, when he was younger, one of the things he wanted to do when he got older was he wanted to build Lego for a living. He wanted to go to one of those Lego amusement parks and, and to construct these massive Lego life-size things. I don't know if you've seen these things, but they're pretty incredible. These life-size Legos that are all, Lego, sorry, that are all put together and uh, they form things that you can, like Star Wars figures or superheroes or things like that. And um, So one year, Jamie and I decided we are going to get him a, a big Lego set for Christmas. And so we ended up getting him this cop house and it was going to be the biggest Lego set he'd ever put together at that age. And so he got up, he opened, he was so excited. Uh, we made him eat breakfast, and then he disappeared into his room. And he was in there from breakfast to lunch just working. And we would go in there every now and then just to check on him. Sometimes we'd sit on the floor and we'd help him find some of the pieces and things like that. And came out to eat and then went right back into it for mid-afternoon and finished this huge set uh, before the day was out. And uh, like I said, Jamie and I would go in there on occasion and we would help him build stuff or we didn't help him build it. We would find the pieces because there were some small pieces that you had to find that were instrumental in the whole thing coming together. And so when he finished it, he was ready to play with it. And of course, we were ready to stretch because laying on the floor for a long time, finding little pieces of Lego to put together. Um, But it was uh, an incredible thing when it finally got done. The end result was just this awesome building that had several different compartments and rooms and is a cool result. And he actually, I don't know if he wants me to tell you this, but he actually still has the set put together in his room. Um, he, he doesn't, I don't know that he's played with, I haven't seen you play with it in a while. But anyway, um, it's, it has to get dusted every now and then. So that's how I kind of know he hasn't played with it. But he, he doesn't want to take it apart because the amount of time that went into it. And like I mentioned, I, I share that because... We're looking at three mini parables this morning in the Gospel of Matthew, and two of which required some digging and some searching. Both they found what they looked were looking for. One happened to stumble upon it. One had a great search and ended up finding what uh, they were looking for. Uh, it's kind of fine, like finding that one itty-bitty Lego that you need in order for the whole thing to come together. They found the one precious thing they wanted. And the two parables that we're going to start with Uh, let us learn a lot about our roles in God's kingdom and how we should be viewing the kingdom of God, the word of God, and ultimately the gospel. I mentioned for the last couple of weeks, if we've we've walked through a couple parables already, Jesus would use parables as a teaching source to illuminate a spiritual truth concerning God and who he was, concerning God's kingdom, concerning God's will or his way, and ultimately our role in that. He didn't use Lego when it came to the crowds because obviously they wouldn't have understood what he was talking about, but he did use quite frequently physical things that were around the people or the crowds or the disciples in order to illuminate this spiritual truth. So we're looking at three. We're looking at the parable of the hidden treasure, the parable of the great pearl, and the parable of the net. Let's deal with the first two, and then we'll deal with the parable of the net. 
So the word of the Lord says, beginning in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 13, and verse 44. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Verse 45, again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who on finding one pearl of great value, went and sold all that he had and bought it. So the first two parables deal with individuals that have situations that are going on in their life. The first parable deals with someone who stumbles upon a treasure that was in a field. Now we have to understand a little bit of the context in this day that Jesus is teaching, because his listeners would have understood it. So in Jesus' day, there were such things as banks, but people did not trust the banks or trust someone else to watch their money. So the, the normal custom was that they would take their treasure or their money, their wealth, and they would bury it in a field, normally theirs, or they would hide it somewhere in the house, like in a jar or under the floor. Or, you know, they would bury it in their home because most homes had dirt floors. And they would just stow it away because they didn't trust people. They didn't trust anyone else to deal with their treasures or their monies. And so when Jesus says this parable... Immediately, his audience is going to understand why this person was able to find a treasure hidden in a field. It's kind of like what happened in America a while back when people wouldn't put money in banks after the Great Depression hit. So they would hide it all around their house, in the floorboards, under the mattresses, in their closets. Um, And I know this is a fact because when my parents were cleaning out my granny and granddad's house, um, they had to go through everything. They had to go through every shoebox. They had to go through every single pocket. They had to go through every single container in the house because my granny had stashed away over $5,000 just throughout the house. Now, we doubt she remembered where it was, but when they found it, they were like, I found another one. <laughs> and they have this stack of money. Well, this is what happens in Jesus' day is people will stash stuff around, uh, kind of like squirrels stashing nuts, because they don't want someone else to take it. So in the first parable, concerning the hidden treasure there in verse 44, this man is going about his daily grind. He is not out looking for a treasure, but he just happens to stumble upon one that has been covered up. And so what he does is, once he finds it, he hides it again, and then he goes and sells all of his possessions to buy the field to which he buried the treasure. And that might seem like a sketchy practice, To find something that's not yours, hide it, and then go get it back for yourself. But here's the thing. In Jesus' day, under the Jewish law, they had a law that says, whatever you find, you can keep. So it's kind of like that saying today, finders, keepers, losers, weepers. And that was a Jewish law. So if he found it and he was able to go buy it, then it ultimately became his own. So the point of the parable isn't by which the man obtained the treasure, because we might think that's kind of mean because that didn't belong to him. But rather, it's how he responded when he found the treasure. Now, since the treasure is compared to the kingdom of heaven, then it is important to grasp what is the kingdom of heaven that Jesus is speaking of in this context. So the kingdom of heaven in these two parables is where God's will is done and he is Lord of all. And God's will and how we are to live in God's will is revealed through the word of God. In God's word, we find that his will is that people would find forgiveness through Jesus Christ alone, that they would find salvation, that they would be restored back into a relationship with him. And for some of us in our life, we were just going through life like this man in the parable, and we just happened to stumble upon the gospel. 
We weren't out planning to be saved on that particular day, but something just clicked. Our ears were open, our hearts were softened, our, our eyes were able to see the truth, but like this man, we didn't see it coming. So we're told that this man, once he finds this treasure that has been hidden, he goes and he sells all that he has. And this isn't for us to jump to the conclusion that we can buy or earn the gospel or buy or earn our salvation. The point, again, of the parable is to show the man's response to the treasure he found. He goes and sells everything in his joy. And in his joy, he gives up all that he has to obtain the will and the ways of God. In this moment, what this parable is saying is this man is deeming everything he's ever earned in life, everything he's ever possessed as worthless compared to this treasure. He forsakes all for the gospel. He dies to all that defined him in order to obtain the will of God and be in God's will. Now, we only read of one individual in this parable, the one who found the treasure. But in fact, there would have to be two individuals that played a part. So we have the individual who finds the treasure, which means we are either that individual. We have found the treasure, the gospel, the salvation of God. And we treasure it so much above everything else that that's all that matters in our life. Or we're like the other individual who once owned the treasure. We found it, but we've buried it deep down. We've hidden it. There was a man by the name of Rob Cutshaw. He owned a little shop in, North, in Andrews, North Carolina. And, and Rob's shop, he would sell uh, precious rocks and precious stones. He would go out into the, the forest or whatever in the trees, and he would start digging up, looking for these precious stones and these precious rocks. And after a while of collecting these things, he started to gain a, an understanding of their value. And so he would go sell them to other collectors and people who wanted them. One day he's out and he comes across a rock he has never seen before. His definition of the rock is that it was big and purdy. And, but the problem was he couldn't, find, excuse me, he couldn't find anyone to buy the rock. And so he couldn't find anyone to buy the rock because things were going through difficult times and there's hardships. He decides he's going to get this rock and he's going to put it under his bed where it remained for 18 years. One day he was watching the news and he saw that there's a man in Arizona who found a rock that was very similar to his own. Now, Rob was hoping he could get maybe $500 for this rock that he found. And this man in Arizona ended up getting $10. And Rob, Rob was thinking, well, I can get much more than that because my rock is so much more, it's so much more larger than that. So he goes and he has it appraised. What he finds out is the stone that he found was a 2,111 carat blue sapphire stone that would later be known as the Star of David. That would be worth nearly $3 million. What was something he would have taken a couple hundred for ended up being one of the largest blue sapphire stones on record. I bring that story up because we hold in our hands. We have the freedom in this nation to carry the Bible. To read the Bible at any point in time during our day. To meditate on it. To memorize it. In the Word of God, we are given the mysteries of God, the mysteries of God's will and the purpose for our life. In God's Word, we find answers to questions that we all have to wrestle with, answers to questions concerning our marriage, 
Answer the questions concerning parenting or even grandparenting. Answer the questions concerning relationships and money and studying and how to raise our kids and how we should, what kind of work ethic we should have and what sort of life we should be living. In God's word, he gives us all the instructions we need for this life so we can enjoy it and have the same joy as this man who found the treasure. Yet for most individuals who go to church on Sundays or Wednesdays and whenever they go, this treasure gets hidden away throughout the week in their homes. The point is, what is the treasure or how much do we treasure the word of God? How much do we treasure our salvation which has given us in a relationship with God? The implication of the parable is that everything we have or is worthy is worthy of giving up to know, do, and be in God's will. It might be, might be that unlike the man, we're holding on to too much of things in this world, too much of our own stuff, too much of ourselves, and it's keeping us from enjoying the true treasure that God has given us in his word. The point of the parables, we're all like Jed Clampett. Y'all know who Jed Clampett is from the Beverly Hillbillies? Theme song, he just goes out, Looking to buy in life. And he comes across black gold. In the process, at some point in our lives, if we have accepted Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, we have come across this treasure. We've come to the understanding that we need forgiveness from God and we need salvation. This was revealed to us through the Word of God and the Holy Spirit. But we ask, what are we doing with it now? Are we enjoying it? Now, the second parable, the parable of the great pearl or the pearl of great value, is more like the TV shows American Pickers or Storage Wars. If you're not familiar with those, those shows have individuals, mostly guys, sometimes ladies, that go looking for a great treasure that has been stashed away. And so they go buy things and they go to run-down barns and people who have been collectors. The parable of the great pearl of value shines the value of the gospel. Jesus compares the kingdom of God to this great pearl, which is to represent an unspeakable glory, an unspeakable worth, something that is very precious and valuable. Again, in context of Jesus' day, merchants would do this very thing. They would travel the world and they'd go to markets. They would look for a great pearl of value. The parables together imply that we unexpectedly sometimes come into the knowledge of the treasure of our salvation, but in the process, we are to be searching for what God desires to do in living out our salvation. The pearl hunter knew what he was looking for. He knew where to find it. And when he found it, what he was looking for, he forsook all other things in his life. And so these parables both represent stages of life within the individual. The first is the treasure hunter. And how we just may happen to be going, coming to church here on Sunday. How you, this is just something you do when Sunday comes around. It's part, part of your day. Yet today, maybe God is revealing to your heart the treasure. A treasure you didn't come here necessarily expecting to find, but you can feel it in your heart. That you're starting to come to the understanding that you're a sinner and that you're separated from God eternally. But the love of God and the gift of God, that treasure is being presented to you this morning to accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, to find forgiveness, to be given eternal life in heaven forever that can never be taken away from you, to be given the deposit of the Holy Spirit. That's the treasure. Some of us here, though, 
or like the second individual with the pearl. We can relate to him. We've been going out in life and we've been looking for all sorts of answers to the questions that are in our heart and our mind. Maybe questions about family or marriage or money or kids, your job, your future relationships. And so what we do is we're like this pearl hunter. We're going to all these avenues in the world and that the world will provide, not understanding that these avenues are not of God. We're not turning to the one true God who knows all things. And so we're looking throughout the world and we start jumping from this thing to that thing. And we try this approach and now that approach. And we have different principles we can apply. We have to understand that God has brought us here today. That we would go after the great pearl. We would turn only to Jesus Christ who is the living word of God. There are many ideas that the devil is going to try to give us on how to handle certain situations of life, and they're going to be like pearls, like the pearls that this pearl hunter came across. But we have to understand as God's people, there's only one pearl of great value, and that is Jesus Christ, the only way to the Father. The one pearl and treasure is only found in him and through the word of God. Ronnie Floyd writes, Until our minds and wills are called into order by the Spirit of God, They will remain open to every foreign idea, every theological aberration, and the acceptance of virtually anything that feels good, looks good, takes virtually no commitment, and has drive-in convenience. None of this will move us closer to God in His presence. Only when we lift our hands to the Father in full surrender to His will can we understand even remotely what God wants to do in our lives. Maybe you have searched the Word of God and have found what you need, But then the question is, have you responded to it? Are we applying it? If we understand it, we have to apply it, and we have to live it. Let's look at our final parable, beginning in verse 47. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a net. It's thrown into the sea and gathered fish of every kind. When it was full, men drew it ashore and sat down and sorted the good into containers but threw away the bad. So it will be at the end of the age, the angels will come out and separate the evil from the righteous and throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Some of the other parables we've looked at already in the parable of the sower and the parable of the weeds, they received an explanation. But if you look in verse 51, Jesus asked his disciples, have you understood all these things? And they said, yes. So they acknowledged, we understand what you're talking about in this moment. We have to keep in mind, that Jesus had several disciples who were fishermen. So this is something they can relate to. They, they, it wasn't a new concept. They can find that so you're speaking a language we understand. This parable does have a lot of similarities, though, to the parable of the weeds. As with this parable, there is a good product and there is a bad product. Also with the parable weeds, as with this one, there is an eventual dividing of the good and the bad that's going to be done in the end. And once again, we find Jesus making this comparison to the kingdom of heaven. The word kingdom there in verse 47 can also be read as reign. This meaning is this parable concerns God's kingdom, where he reigns, where he is Lord of all, or where he is master. And so Jesus compares this now to a net. Again, we go into the context of what Jesus is talking about in his day and age. He obviously had fishermen within his disciples, and there are two main ways of fishing that were done in this area. And none of them had to deal with a lure or a fishing pole. The most common way 
which was the cheapest way, was with a hand net. And what you would do with a hand net is you would have a rope that you would tie around your forearm. You would stand along the shores of the, the Sea of Galilee or wherever you were, and you'd throw the net out, and then you would pull it in. It's a very time-consuming process. You're tossing and pulling. And a lot of times you didn't catch anything, and if you ever did catch anything, it was never a big catch because that net was not that big. The other way was known as the drag net. And the drag net was used with one or two boats and a boat full of fishermen. This would be the type of fishing that Jesus' disciples would have been doing when he called them to follow him. So what a drag net had is you would go out into two boats, and the fishermen would toss the drag net into the water, and it had weights which would pull the net down to the bottom. And once they got to the bottom or close to the bottom, they would begin rowing or sailing, and they would go in the same direction. This drag net would come across the ocean or the sea, and it would have been catching fish. And so this would also be a time-consuming process. The fishermen in the boat, you wouldn't know what you caught. You would know if you caught something because the net would start to get heavier, but you wouldn't know what you caught until you got back to shore because they would come back to shore, and then all the fishermen would start pulling in the net together, and they would be able to see whether they had good fish or bad fish. Jesus is using this illustration as a physical aspect so some of the disciples can understand or they can explain it. So this is the picture that this parable is now painting for us. Again, the physical aspect. Jesus is using disciples that we can come to a deeper understanding of a spiritual truth. Now going through the catch, when they got back on the shore, the fishermen would have good fish and they would have bad fish. And that has nothing to do with flavor. Okay? It has nothing to do with color or appearance. The good fish that Jesus is speaking of here in this moment is the fish that would be in the Jewish way of life that the Lord had deemed clean and good to eat. There would also be bad fish. The bad fish would be fish that the Lord had deemed unclean and therefore bad to eat. And the wisdom that the disciples would have had to discern what is a good fish and a bad fish comes from the Word of God. You find it in Deuteronomy chapter 14, verses 9 through 10. There the Lord deemed upon his people there are certain type of fish that you can eat and interact with that are good, and there are certain types of fish you cannot eat because they are bad. In Deuteronomy, it means they are an abomination. They aren't to be touched. He's telling his people in Deuteronomy, don't do it. Don't go near it. Don't even think about it. Don't, don't even mess with it. Now, to eat something that was deemed unclean or bad would make the individual, the Jew, therefore unclean as well. And when they became unclean, according to the Old Testament, they would be cut from the Lord's people. They were told to be excommunicated from the camp, and therefore they would be removed from what was believed to be the Lord's presence, and they could not return until a period of time had passed, and they could have a purification offering to be given to rejoin the camp. This is what Jesus is drawing out. The disciples are understanding and say, yeah, we get this. The reason for separating the two fish is that the bad fish would make an individual cut off from God. Now, the word bad here in the Gospel of Matthew means rotten. It means foul. It means worthless. And so the simplest conclusion is the separating. And in separating, this is what Jewish fishermen would do. They would separate to show their obedience to the word of God, or other words, his reign over their life. 
But if they did not separate the good from the bad, then they were showing they're going to be disobedient to the word of God or his reign mastership over their life. And so what is the spiritual truth now that we can understand why disciples get this one so easy? First, there's the net, okay? The net represents the kingdom of heaven or the gospel. The gospel is good news. That's what the word gospel means. It's the good news of Jesus Christ. It is through the gospel, the good news, that we learn of the love of God who took the form of a man in Jesus, who lived a perfect life according to the standards or will of God, who died a death that was intended for every individual who slipped to the smallest standard of God and then rose again so the individual or us could be completely forgiven and purified so we can enter into the holy presence of God. That's the gospel. The gospel in the parable is the net. And it is being lowered down into the sea, which represents the world. And like the sea, life can be hard. It can be unpredictable. It can be discouraging. It's going to go through storms. It's going to have troubles. It's going to be restless at times. It's going to be unstable. It's going to have dangerous moments. But with this parable, the gospel has come into the world by the means of God's love in Jesus Christ. And the parable paints the picture of the gospel like a dragnet gathering up all kinds of fish which represent people. It shows us that the gospel and God's love shows no discrimination. It is not discriminating to the rich, the poor, the sinner, the saint, the old, the young, the good, or the bad. The gospel is not meant to be exclusive or for those who have it all figured out or have their life put together. The gospel is meant to be inclusive, meaning the gospel is cast by God into the world by his love to catch all types of people for himself. What about the fishermen? Who are they? The fishermen are the fishers of men. And this is what we're all called to be. Fishers of men. And with their boats coming together to throw in this dragnet, they have to work together in a combined effort, which is a glorious picture of what the church is to be. God's people working together, casting the gospel out into the world, Hoping to catch people. That's our goal. And sometimes we're going to have good catches, and sometimes we're going to have bad catches. But we don't get to decide on that. The fishermen understand what a good and bad fish is only because of the word of God. The casting of the net is not only showing the casting of God's love upon the world and all who dwell in it, but also a representation of the preaching of the gospel we are all called to do and understanding we're going to catch good people and we're going to catch bad people. It's going to happen. The thing is, as fishermen, we don't know what we're catching until the net comes ashore. And the net coming ashore represents the end of the age, which Jesus says the angels will come out and they'll separate the evil from the righteous. So the filling of the net is what is described in the Bible. It's a time when every tribe, every tongue, and every nation is going to stand before Jesus Christ, and they're going to be judged. They're going to be held accountable. And so no matter how bad it gets in the boat or under the water, 
until the preordained time of every tribe, nation, and tongue have had a chance to hear the gospel and be swooped in by the net, it won't be time for any of God's people to call it a day or to go home. I don't care how old you are or how young you are, you will never retire from being a caster of the gospel until God calls you home. Then at the time of separation of the the good and the bad is going to happen. Not before and not during. The bad or the worthless fish are defined as bad or worthless by God, not by man. Again, it came from the book of Deuteronomy. And I think this is sometimes hard for us to hear in a world that's beginning to preach that nobody loses. And that everyone is accepted for who they are. But what the gospel and the word of God tell us in truth is that a life without Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, which is a life that is covered by the blood of the Lamb for our sins. No matter what we accomplish in life, no matter how big our bank accounts get, no matter if people think we're a good person, if you do not have Jesus Christ, your life right now is bad or worthless. And the reason God says that isn't because he hates you or doesn't like you. He loves you. But the reason God tells us that is because we were created for one thing in this life. And that is to be in a relationship with God found through Jesus Christ. So if you don't have Jesus, you're not living your purpose. And you're living a worthless and bad life. The parable also points out to the end of all things. And draws out a place that Jesus doesn't say here, but we know as hell. And that's where bad fish or bad people go. You know, I like to talk about heaven. I'm enjoying a revelation study where we're getting to look into heaven. I know we like to sing about heaven. But if you look through Jesus' teachings, not even just in the parables, but throughout his ministry, he spoke about a time when there is going to be a great separation between good and bad. And he brought it up frequently. That weeping and gnashing of teeth, this isn't the only time Jesus says that statement. There's going to be a great separation one day. And the reason Jesus continues to bring it up and remind the people that are listening and remind us through his word is so that we wouldn't be blind to the truth that there is going to be a day of judgment. There is going to be a day when God is going to separate every human being based upon one thing. Did you know Jesus or not? See your Savior or not. And in that moment, God is going to send the bad fish or the people who do not have Jesus into a place known as hell. But the reality of this is there's also a net. So that means there's salvation. And so no matter what brought us here this morning, we all right now, you're in the net. The gospel has been cast out. You're in the net. And we're all in a place where we're now being pulled ashore And the parable tells us the end is coming as the net begins to fill up. And so what this parable does, it makes us give ourselves a heart check and ask an honest question. When this net is pulled ashore, when the final day emerges, are we going to be considered a good fish or a bad fish? Are we going to be considered a fish worthy of God or unworthy? It doesn't mean that we have to be perfect. 
There's not a person on this planet who is perfect. There's only one person ever who is perfect, and that was Jesus Christ. But we have to ask ourselves, is my life defined as a life that is pursuing after God and do my very best to be obedient to him? Not to prove ourselves or anything like that, just to respond to the love that God has given us. That means we're a good fish. But if not, verse 50 says, the bad fish, throw them into the fiery furnace. And in that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. In the end, if we're not found in the Lord and deemed good and worthy to enter the Lord's presence because we've not been purified by the blood of the Lamb who is Jesus Christ, Jesus is telling us in this moment, if we are not found in him, we can only respect, expect remorse, punishment, rage, despair, and inexpressible pain. But right now we're in the net. Right now you're in the net. And the net's not ashore yet. And so you may have come here for pancakes. I don't know. <laughs> but God came, brought you here to make sure that when the net is pulled ashore, you're a good fish. The Bible makes it very clear how we can do that. First, we admit to God that we're a sinner. What it means to be a sinner is that we fall short. In basketball terms, it would be shooting an air ball. We completely miss God's holy standards, no matter how good we think we are or no matter how good other people think we are. We all sin, and we fall short of the glory of God. And God tells us in his word that the wage or the cost of sin is death. And some of us might say, well, we're all going to die, but that death there in Romans means separation from the God of the living. And the cost of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And so we admit to God, God, I am a sinner, but I believe your only son, Jesus Christ, came on this earth, died in the place of my sins, and rose again that I might be forgiven. And we tell God we believe that. And then the Bible says when we believe it in our heart, we must confess it with our mouth, and then we will be saved. And if you're here this morning, I want to tell you right now, you're in the net. And if you have yet to accept Jesus Christ, the net is coming ashore. But today could be the day of your salvation. Maybe you're here and you're like me and just realizing, you know, how much am I actually treasuring this and treasuring my relationship with God? Is it a pearl of great value? Is it a hidden treasure I found and I would give up everything for it? So God makes us ask that question if we're already his children. Let's pray together and ask Bridget and Nick to come and lead us in a song. We're going to do this as an invitational song. And what I mean by that, I'm going to be standing here. If you need to come down and accept Jesus Christ, your Lord and Savior, I'm going to ask you to come down. You don't have to stand. You can just come and sit in the front row and we can talk. And if you're kind of nervous, I've got to walk down the aisle. I want to tell you this. There's not going to be a person in this room that's not going to be excited for you. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for your love and your mercy. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your son, your spirit. Thank you for your love. Thank you for your forgiveness. Lord, you know that we all at times get tempted and fall into sin. You know we all at times do things that are not worthy of your name. But because you are a merciful God and a faithful God, you won't allow that to separate us from you. Lord, if there's someone here this morning that is unsure if they're saved, or they know for a fact because your spirit has spoken directly to their heart, I pray that they would come down and they would let that be known. They would make this their confession of faith.
But Lord, we want to be a people, a church that is working together, casting the gospel out into this world, trying to catch as many people as we can for your kingdom. Thank you for not only commissioning us with that and commanding us to do that, but empowering us to do it. I'm praying this time in response, this time of invitation, Lord, that you continue to be glorified and your will and kingdom would be done. And forgive us if we failed you in any way. And praise on that. In Jesus' name, amen.